Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. All right, so the big story on Tuesday was the horrific bombing of a hospital in Gaza, the death toll is at least 500 people, uh, just a really awful situation. Um, we had that story at the top of the page for most of the day on Tuesday, so I rearranged things for Wednesday's page. So we'll get into the hospital bombing in a little bit. But the first thing at the top of the page on antiwar.com today, Israel asks the U.S. for $10 billion in additional military aid. So this was reported by the New York Times on Monday that Israel is looking for $10 billion in military aid amid its onslaught in Gaza. And this report said that lawmakers in Congress are working with the White House to craft a spending package that will include military aid for Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan, and additional funds for border security. So it looks like Taiwan is back into the mix. There's been multiple reports about this now. And then on Tuesday, Reuters reported that President Biden will request a spending package for all the military aid for all these three countries worth about $100 billion. Previous reports said that Biden was looking for a massive spending package for Ukraine that would last through the 2024 election. So if Israel gets an extra $10 billion, it would be on top of the $3.8 billion the U.S. provides the country each year. I wouldn't be surprised if the U.S. gives Israel more than it requested. It's not clear what the breakdown is of that $100 billion that they're expecting Biden to ask for. But let's say Israel gets its $10 billion. You know, that's a few years worth of that of military aid. You know, compared to the $3.8 billion that they get every year, it's just lots of money for to continue this brutal campaign in Gaza that the U.S. is giving its full-throated uh, endorsement of. Um, and in the wake of the Hamas attack on southern Israel and when Israel started this campaign in Gaza, the U.S. started shipping additional military aid so that we're already, the U.S. has already provided more support. And... When it comes to Ukraine, of course, they, they're worried that as the year drags on, as we get closer to the 2024 election, opposition to the proxy war is going to grow. So they just want to have a big one and done package um, to get get the vote out of the way. Now, the situation in the House, Jim Jordan uh, did not win the speakership on Tuesday. There, there, he couldn't get enough votes. So that's still all up in the air. So it's not clear when... These, the actual vote is going to happen on this aid, um, so we'll see how it all plays out. And, you know, when it comes to including Taiwan in this bill, that that is, you know, what I think sends a very provocative message to China because you're rolling in military aid for Taiwan into a spending package that includes aid f- to fund two wars that, you know, two hot wars that are ongoing and you know it's just sending some kind of message to china that the u.s also thinks they need to throw in weapons for taiwan into this huge spending package Um, but we'll see how this all plays out in congress uh, in the next couple days 
All right, so the next one here is concerning. The White House discussed a military response if Hezbollah attacks Israel. So Axios reported on Tuesday that the White House has discussed the possibility of using military force against Hezbollah if the Lebanese Shia group launches a significant attack on Israel. So this report reads, quote, The scenario of using U.S. military force if Hezbollah were to join the war has come up in several White House meetings in recent days. The officials added that any decision to use force would be made according to the scope of a Hezbollah attack and Israel's ability to respond, end quote. So Hezbollah and Israel have been exchanging fire across the Lebanon-Israel border. There have been casualties that continued on Tuesday, so the tensions continue to grow. Um, But they they have yet to engage in, you know, an all-out battle, you know, with Hezbollah as an attempt at an invasion or, or anything. And so, but still, tensions are growing and this could really explode. And that Jerusalem Post report that I went over the other day said that Israel was delaying its ground invasion of Gaza because they feared that Hezbollah would open up a second front in the north. And we know the U.S. has deployed a lot of firepower to the region, and they're doing this in the name of deterring Hezbollah and Iran and other regional actors from entering this fight. So the implication is that they will intervene directly if Hezbollah attacks, and that's what apparently the White House has been discussing. And Israel's national security advisor uh, believes that the U.S. will directly intervene if Hezbollah enters the war. Uh, He said on Tuesday, quote, Biden is making clear to our enemies that if they even imagine taking part in the offensive against the citizens of Israel, there will be American involvement here. Israel will not be alone. A U.S. force is here and it is ready, end quote. Um, So, again, I mean, there's just a good chance of this thing really exploding into a much wider war. And the next one here is related to that. McCall says that he is preparing an authorization of military force if the Gaza war escalates. So Representative Michael McCall, Republican from Texas, he's the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He told CNN on Monday that he was drawing up an authorization for the use of military force against Hamas, Hezbollah, and other groups in the region if the Gaza war escalates. He said, quote, I hope I never have to mark this bill up, but we have a situation in the Middle East that's growing day by day with intensity. And if Hezbollah gets involved, Iran has already threatened if Gaza is, you know, if Israel goes, if the IDF goes into Gaza, that they're going to come out, end quote. So when asked if the White House requested the authorization, McCall, McCall would not say. He said, quote, I don't want to confirm that. It's just that there is concern. I'm currently drafting one in the event that it's necessary, end quote. So he said that the AUMF he's working on would apply to Iran as well if Tehran enters the fighting. He said, quote, I'd prefer not to put Iran as a nation state in there. It would be more Iran proxies, you know, like Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran-backed Shia militias. But if Iran gets directly involved, then we would have to put them on the list, end quote. So again, a sign uh, that this thing could really explode. Um, and then I just mentioned again in the, this article how the U.S. has deployed you know, the aircraft carriers and everything to the region. 
So the next one here, a U.S. Marine Rapid Response Unit is headed to the conflict zone. So this article is from Kelly Vlahos over at Responsible Statecraft. And I briefly mentioned this uh, in yesterday's show that this U.S. Marine Rapid Response Unit consisting of 2,000 Marines and sailors is heading to the region on board some sort of amphibious um, vessel. And according to these reports, the idea is to send a message of deterrence to Iran and Hezbollah. And again, the implication is that the U.S. will attack them directly if they intervene. So according to CNN, the unit will join the two U.S. aircraft carrier groups in the eastern Mediterranean. Um, So this is the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit, which specializes in tasks such as amphibious operations, crisis response, humanitarian assistance, and certain special operations. Um, so anyway, the uh, this two thousand this group of two thousand Marines and sailors is on top of the two thousand troops that the Pentagon has told to be prepared to deploy to the region uh, to back Israel in this war in whatever capacity. The reports say they're not meant to be a combat force. Um, so this is additional on top of that. So 4,000 troops potentially being deployed to the region um, to prepare to support Israel and you know provide possibly intelligence and things like that. And if things really do explode, potentially actually enter the conflict. So lots of military assets moving around. All right, so the next one here, hundreds killed in Israeli bombing of a Gaza hospital. So Middle East Eye reported, as well as Al Jazeera and other media outlets reported that Israeli airstrikes targeted the Al-Ali Arab Hospital in Gaza City on Tuesday night, killing hundreds and wounding many more. Reports say at least 500 people were killed, mainly women and children. So for their part, the Israeli military is denying that they bombed this hospital. They're claiming that a rocket misfired by the Palestinian Islamic Jihad group hit the hospital. They said that a rocket volley was being fired at Israel around the time, and one of the rockets must have hit the hospital. Now, if you know anything about these rockets that the Islamic Jihad and Hamas use, they are not nearly powerful enough to level a hospital and kill 500 people. Um, You know, they've never caused any casualties anywhere near that. So if the Israeli claim is true, which I am doubting, it it would mean that it, it, it would have to have hit some sort of ammunition dump or, you know, some sort of stockpile of weapons that was either at the hospital or next to the hospital but I don't even see Israel saying that. They're just saying, putting out saying, oh, our intelligence tells us it was a Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket. So, um, again, uh, if you watch the video here that the Washington Post says is the video, says that they confirmed is the video of the hospital being hit, and you listen to the sound, I mean, it really sounds like an airstrike. And I see people on Twitter and stuff ex- suspect that it's a JDAM which is a bomb, a U.S.-made bomb. Um, But Israel's denying it, so we'll see how this plays out. And I know in the past, Israel has blamed uh, stray rocket fire from either Palestinian Islamic Jihad or Hamas for civilian casualties that they did end up causing. Over the summer, um, 
actually, no, this was last year. This was in 2022. There was an escalation and a group of Palestinian children in a graveyard that were visiting a graveyard were killed by an Israeli airstrike or I'm not sure if it was airstrike or artillery, but either way, it was Israel that did it. Israel claimed it was a is an Islamic Jihad rocket, and then they eventually admitted, no, nah, actually, it was us that killed those kids. So they have a track record of lying about strikes in Gaza. So, you know, we'll see what happens in the in the coming days. But this bombing has drawn widespread condemnation from regional countries who are, of course, blaming Israel. Jordan's King Abdullah called the incident, quote, a heinous war war crime that cannot be tolerated. Israel must immediately stop its brutal aggression against Gaza, end quote. So that's Abdullah. And after this hospital bombing, Jordan canceled a summit with President Biden that they were going to host in Amman on Wednesday. Uh, The leader of Egypt was also going to be there. So Biden is probably already in Israel. He was due to arrive Tuesday night or early Wednesday, and he was set to visit Israel and then go over to Oman for this summit, but that summit has been canceled. Another meeting that has been canceled was one that was scheduled between Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority. They canceled the meeting after the hospital bombing. You know, Erdogan, all the Arab leaders in the region as well have come out strongly condemning this and, you know, pointing the finger at Israel. Lots of NGOs, human rights groups are all uh, condemning this as well. Of course, this is horrific. I mean, 500 people, and they believe that the death toll, uh, it's probably higher. There were still more people stuck under the rubble here. I'm just clicking over to the Middle East Eye article. Um, So they're still saying at at least 500. Um, It's just a horrific scene. If you look at the pictures there, uh, I mean, just unimaginable situation there for the people. Oh, I have the quote in here from uh, Erdogan. Uh, He said that striking a hospital, quote, where there are women, children, and innocent civilians is the latest example of Israel's attacks devoid of fundamental human values, end quote. So, um, oh, and President Biden put out a statement on this bombing, and I should read that. Oh, I thought I added it to the article here. Um, oh, yeah, I did. Sorry, I'm all over the place. I, I was kind of updating this as the day went on. So it's a little it's a little messy. But so what's interesting is that President Biden released a statement and he did not attribute blame in his statement. He said that he directed his national security team to continue gathering information about exactly what happened. So what's interesting about this is that he put this statement out after Israel was claiming it was a Islamic Jihad rocket. So if the U.S. was buying, you know, believed Israel's story, you would assume that Biden would have backed them up, but he didn't. Um, So I think that is telling. And I know there are some things on Twitter. Israel put out videos with a timestamp that was not the same time as the strike, and and they, they deleted some tweets or something. So right now, I think Israel's case is pretty flimsy, um, but we'll see. Uh, You know, I feel like you know, they're going to have to eventually admit it was them or, uh, you know, more definitive evidence will come out. Because right now in Gaza at the scene of the hospital, it's just a disaster and they're cleaning up and, um, you know, and, and it's not like Israel is not targeting civilians. It's not really a surprise that Israel would do something like that, would bomb a hospital. I know some of the NGOs that operate there, like Doctors Without Borders, have said in recent days that Israel was 
telling them to evacuate hospitals in the north. And this happened in Gaza City, the city that Israel is expected to launch a major attack on with ground soldiers. So, you know, don't put it past Israel. And I think we should doubt their side of the story. All right, so the next one here, U.S. and its allies defeat a U.N. Security Council resolution for Gaza ceasefire. So on Monday night, the U.S. and its allies voted down a U.N. Security Council resolution that would have called for a humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza as civilians in the enclave are under a brutal siege. So this resolution was proposed by Russia. It was also supported by China, Gabon, Mozambique, and the UAE. But the U.S., Britain, France, and Japan voted against the resolution. Now, this is the U.N. Security Council. Um, A lot of, you know, this stuff is mainly symbolic, but still the fact that the U.S. and its allies are voting against a humanitarian ceasefire uh, says a lot. And the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield, she said that, the, the you know, she slammed the resolution because it did not condemn Hamas. She said, quote, by failing to condemn Hamas, Russia is giving cover to a terrorist group that brutalizes innocent civilians. It is outrageous, hypocritical, and indefensible, end quote. Uh, And then Russia's representative, uh, of course, criticized the U.S. and its allies for voting against this resolution. And we know the State Department is telling its diplomats, don't talk about de-escalation, don't talk about a ceasefire. We're backing Israel all the way here. So it's not a surprise. All right, the next one here, bodies all around as Israeli air air raids hit homes in southern Gaza. So this article is from Al Jazeera, and it says that more than 70 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli air raids on southern Gaza, where Israel previously ordered civilians to seek refuge ahead of a looming ground offensive, according to officials in the besieged enclave. So this was early Tuesday They said Israeli strikes hit homes west and southeast of Khan Yunus and west of Rafah, and that is in the southern Gaza Strip, again, where they are telling them to evacuate. They're still launching airstrikes there. And I know uh, Hamas said one of their senior leaders was killed on Tuesday in some airstrikes, uh, but uh, AP is reporting that at least dozens of civilians were killed in these airstrikes in the south. And there's some pictures here of just the situation for the people, and it's just really horrific. And the death toll, so I'm not, I haven't seen an updated death toll from the Palestinian Health Ministry since the hospital bombing. I know yesterday the death toll was about 2,800. So if you add the 500, it's about 2,300. Add 70 from the south, so sorry, 3,300. So we're well over 3,000 at least in this 10, 11 day bombing siege. It's just really, uh, Horrible numbers there. And then the next one, we just have the live updates from uh, Middle East Eye. See what the latest is. Iran's foreign minister arrives arrives in Saudi Arabia. Islamic Jihad denies Israeli claim on the hospital strike. Um, They say that Israel is trying to evade responsibility for the brutal massacre. Uh, Biden intends to ask Israel tough questions, according to John Kirby. I'm sure he's going to be real tough with them. You know, why is he going to Israel if he's going to, I don't know. It's just crazy that he's going over there. Um, UN chief horrified by hospital strike. Um, So those are just some of the latest news updates. So the next one here is a pretty big story. The U.S. secretly gives Ukraine cluster attackums. So CNN reported Tuesday that the U.S. has secretly provided Ukraine 
with army tactical missile systems. Those are these the Attackum munitions that typically have a range of about 190 miles and can be fired from the HIMARS rocket systems. U.S. officials told the New York Times that the Attackums the U.S. has provided are armed with cluster bombs. And that is a widely banned munition that's notorious for killing civilians due to its indiscriminate nature. The U.S. first began giving Ukraine cluster bombs in the form of 155mm artillery shells earlier this year. And now they're giving them these attackums. And the issue with cluster bombs is that they can leave behind duds. They spread these small little bomblets and many of them might not explode. And civilians can often find them years or decades after the conflict. And a lot of times it's children. They see something that looks like a ball. They pick it up and it blows up in their hands. So that's the fate of Ukrainians in the future. Thanks to Joe Biden sending all these cluster bombs over there. So the Attackums have a range of 190 miles, which is significantly longer than anything else the U.S. has given them. This New York Times report said that this version that the U.S. has secretly provided, though, have less of a range than 190 miles. They say it's even less than the Storm Shadow missiles that the British have provided Kiev that have a range of 155 miles away. So it's not really clear what range these Attackums are, but either way, this is a big escalation and they did it secretly. Uh, you know, this was not announced in any recent military aid package that the Pentagon announced for Ukraine. So that raises all sorts of questions about what else has the U.S. done secretly when it comes to sending weapons or what other kind of support are they providing that we don't know about. So Ukrainian officials and later Zelensky said this, said that they used the attackums on Tuesday. They're already in use. They said they targeted two airfields in Russian-controlled areas of Ukraine, one in Berdyansk, which is in the southern Zaporozhye Oblast, and then another airfield in the eastern Luhansk Oblast. So again, it's not clear when the U.S. actually delivered these weapons, since we don't know when they were shipped over there. And Ukraine has been requesting these attackums for a long time. The administration, the Biden administration, was initially hesitant to send them due to fear of escalation. Um, they believe that the use of attackums could cross one of the red lines that would lead Russia to using a tactical nuclear weapon. That's what U.S. officials used to fear. But those concerns have waned, and, and, and really their logic seems to be, well, Russia hasn't used a tactical nuke up to this point, so they're probably not going to do it. Let's send, send these weapons. Keep escalating. That seems to be their logic. Uh, all right, so the next one here is uh, Putin arrives in China to meet with Xi. So this article is from Kyle over at the Libertarian Institute. Russian President Vladimir Putin traveled to China to meet with President Xi Jinping as the two countries are developing a historically strong relationship. Xi and Putin described each other as close friends, and these robust ties between Moscow and Beijing grew as the U.S. has been the U.S. has been leading, you know, these sanctions against Russia. China is also facing sanctions and a U.S. military buildup in the Asia Pacific. So naturally, the two countries would grow closer together. Um, so she said that the ties between Russia and China are, you know, mutually beneficial. Putin arrived in China on Tuesday for the Belt and Road Forum. Um in comments to Chinese state media, Putin said, quote, Chairman Xi Jinping calls me his friend and I call him my friend, end quote. 
Trade between the two nations has increased by 30% over the first three quarters of 2023 and is expected to exceed $190 billion for the full year. So that's pretty significant um, increase in cooperation there. All right, so the last story here, report calls for the U.S. to prep for war with Russia and China. This is another one from Kyle, and this is a congressionally commissioned report. It's a congressional report on nuclear policy that warned that Russia and China pose an existential threat to the U.S. and action must be taken now to prepare for conflicts with the two superpowers, simultaneous conflicts with Russia and China. That would be World War III. And that would be mean nuclear war. This commission called for Washington to prepare to fight simultaneous wars in Europe and Asia. And it's calling for the U.S. to, uh, you know, modernize its nuclear arsenal and all of that. So really scary stuff here. And uh, I'll just read a few quotes that Kyle put in. So the authors claimed, quote, the U.S. faces a strategic challenge re- requiring urgent action. Given current threat trajectories, our nation will soon encounter a fundamentally different global setting than it has ever experienced. We will face a world where two nations possess nuclear arsenals on par with our own. In addition, the risk of conflict with these two nuclear peers is increasing. It is an existential challenge for which the U.S. is ill-prepared unless its leaders make decisions now to adjust the U.S. strategic posture, end quote. So... I would look at something like this and say, if the risk of nuclear war is more likely, why don't we do everything we can to avoid it and de-escalate tensions and and work things out um, with China and you know stop supporting Ukraine? That would be my you know idea to fix it. But no, this report says more nukes, more weapons. Get ready for World War Three. So that is it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Thomas Knapp, Murder Most Foul, Thoughts on Moral Responsibility. One from Ted Snyder, The U.S. Breaks Its Deal with Iran Again. One from Alice uh, Sperry, Before They Vowed to Annihilate Hamas, Israeli Officials Considered It an Asset. One from Jonathan Cook, Lawless in Gaza, Why Britain and the West Back Israel's Crimes. And our spotlight is from Peter Van Buren, no more malarkey on Ukraine policy. So that is everything for me for today. You could always help the show by sharing it around, commenting, liking, subscribing on YouTube. If you listen to the podcast, which most of you do, uh, leave a rating or a review wherever you listen to it. All that stuff really helps and I appreciate it. Um, I'll be back tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening.